0: You're listening to the Pure Voice Podcast with Tiffany Moore Borgelin. I am Tiffany Moore Borgelin. Pure. It's who you are in the most raw and unrefined space voice. It's the way you move and manifest in this world and use that rawness to present and to show up in this world. So you're going to get pure voice here. It's all I know. Before we even start this particular podcast, I want to iterate that the views um, and everything that I'm going to express here are for storytelling purposes. And I'm just telling you a story, a true story that happened to me. Would I have handled the story that I'm about to tell you um, any differently, looking back on it? Probably because I'm older now. Hopefully you can use critical thinking to see what it was and apply it in any way in your life, that it can give you some insight into the mind of someone who at the time was just simply fed up. So I'm not advocating violence. I'm not telling anybody to go out here and get into a fight or anything like that. I'm just telling you my story. So I've been thinking about you guys, and there's been a lot going on in this world. Every time I look on social media or I see the things that are going on, I always ask myself, where do you fit in? You know, and one of my favorite phrases is get in where you fit in. A lot of people say that and I didn't make it up, <laughs> but um, get in where you fit in. A lot of the way that we can determine where we fit in is our lives, The things that have occurred in our lives, our experiences, they're not for no reason. Oftentimes, you can look back over the challenges you may have had, the victories you may have had, and all of that, and say, Well, what was it all for? Sometimes you can clearly see it and sometimes you can't. I look back over the course of my life and I remember being raised up until at least the age of seven or eight in. Housing that now that I look back on it was Section 8 housing. Um, I remember not really having a lot, you know, and I could go into depth and tell you some really serious, heartbreaking, heart tugging stories. But let's just say this. I was raised in such a way that because of the nature of where we were, we didn't have time to hold any punches. We didn't have time to not fight for what we needed to survive. And so we were told at a young age, when someone starts with you, if you need to defend yourself, you defend yourself. It was as simple as that. There wasn't any, you know, philosophy surrounding it or anything like that. It was like, if someone comes at you, you better defend yourself. Like there was not even really a choice. Don't come home not having defended yourself. It wasn't even like don't come home having gotten beat up. It was even if you come home and they got the best of you, don't let me find out that you didn't try to defend yourself. Now, of course, there were some caveats to that. You don't try to defend yourself against a gang. You know, we were taught when to run. <laughs> you know, we we learned when to hold them and when to fold them and when to walk away and when to run. I'm talking about just general when the when the playing field was pretty much equal or even or when you could go get back up you defended yourself so I wanted to tell you guys a story today that encapsulates the whole reason that I'm doing this podcast today when I was like eight years old we moved from where we were living in North Carolina to a little town in South Carolina and I'll tell you they were polar opposites When I was younger, I lived in an all black neighborhood and I don't ever remember being called anything, you know, racial, like no one ever called me out of my name or, you know, used a racial slur against me because, hey, we were all black and we were all just trying to make it. But around the age of eight or nine, I remember moving to a little town in South Carolina and that was the first time someone ever came out of their face and fixed their mouth to call me a racial slur. And it became something that you kind of got used to hearing. But I was still shocked that people were saying the word the way they were saying it to me. So what I learned was, you can't give people an end to the degree where they just get comfortable with stuff like that. And I couldn't get comfortable with stuff like that. So within the first, I guess, six or seven months, I found myself in many playground fights, letting people know I'm not the one. I'm not the one. I will bring every bit of what I've known for this first eight years upon you if you want to start talking out of the side of your neck. Fast forward, we moved from that one little neighborhood where it was very prevalent to another neighborhood. By the time I was 13, Where it wasn't as prevalent, but when people tried to lay into you with their racial slurs, they were real tricky and sneaky about the way they did it. So I remember I used to walk up to the laundromat because it was an apartment complex and so it was a shared laundromat area. And there was this one particular girl who just decided she was white. She just decided she just didn't like me. I mean, I moved to the neighborhood. I tried to be nice and cordial to people, never one to kiss up to anyone, but certainly one to try to introduce myself and be initially civil and kind of see where it was going to go. Most of the people in the neighborhood accepted me or what have you, but she just had a chip on her shoulder towards me from day one. So I remember I would walk up to the laundromat and this particular uh, season of time, I was walking up to the laundromat and she would open up the window to her apartment And she would say little snide remarks, you know, nothing too out of the ordinary, but enough to make me kind of uncomfortable, but not enough to where I would address her. I would just walk on past her apartment and just keep going and get into the laundromat and do what I had to do. And then she started to get a little bit more bold. She would have a couple of her little henchman friends sitting on her uh, stoop with her when I would walk up. To the laundromat or walk up to the pay phone. And they always, you know, were trying to tease or laugh or say something that made me feel uncomfortable. But again, they never said anything completely outright bad. But you knew, I knew, that the reason they were treating me the way that I was was because of the color of my skin. And she already had kind of a reputation in the community at large, not just our apartment complex, but in the stores, in the general area, and all of the little businesses surrounding. They just weren't the most savory folks, let's just put it that way. (laughs) So, and again, this community was full of people who were... you know, just regular people. But then you had some people who basically let you know they didn't like people of color. They didn't like black people. I wasn't going to say people of color. They didn't like black people. And so you had some guys who were self-professed, you know, rednecks who wanted to have their Confederate flags and stuff flying all the time. And she was definitely in a family like that. It started to escalate. After a while, they got bolder. They got more bold about the things that they would say as I walked past. And I kept saying to myself, listen, they live up here and you still have to deal with them when you walk up to the laundromat, but you just keep your business down the, down the um, way where your apartment is. And so I remember one day and I and I had already started to kind of like get kind of fed up with her, but I still just felt like, you know, you just ain't worth it. You know, you're not worth it right now. In life, there's some times where you just feel like you're just not worth it. I had other things going on. I was entering puberty. Um, It was just stuff, you know, in my own home life. I just didn't have time for it. One day I was sitting on the stoop with a couple of my friends. We were just talking. And then here she comes walking down to the area where our stoop was And you had to pass my apartment somewhat in order to cut through this little trail in the woods to head up to where all the local businesses were. That's where we would walk or ride our bikes up to get candy and things like that. She walked past the apartment and she didn't say anything. And I think they were a little bit more quiet because I had two friends with me. And then as they passed the apartment and got to the edge of the woods where the trail was, where you would kind of disappear into the trail to go through the woods, to then get up to the main street, to cross the street, to get to all the little commerce, you know, the businesses and things. When she got to that little edge of the woods that was kind of a little bit further away from us, she turned around and she looked right at me from afar And said, hey, black monkey bitch. Without exchanging even a look or a glance at my friends, not one word was spoken. I stood up. And I remember thinking in that moment, we are down here on a nice, bright, sunny day. Giggling. Talking about boys. Talking about clothes. Talking about our favorite songs on the radio." You know, it's a nice, beautiful summer day. Like, seriously, check why? Like, now you're in my space. Now you're in my territory. Now you're restricting my right to be happy even on my own damn stoop. So I stood up and something just snapped. Something just snapped. And I took off across that parking lot. And when she saw me running towards her, She took off with all her might running through those woods, her and her friends, laughing and giggling as if this was an adventure, like they had poked a bear and now they were going to be able to tell the story one day about how they said something and ran and got away. I went through those woods after her. She was running. She crossed that street at the end of the woods and she ran all the way over into the bank parking lot. Thinking, I guess, that because she was in a bank parking lot and all the adults were there, you know, doing their regular normal business and things that I wouldn't pursue. But whatever snapped in me snapped all the way and there was no filter. There was no filter that made me afraid that moment of my reputation There was no filter in that moment that made me afraid that I could possibly get in trouble with my parents. There was no filter that made me, you know, in any way concerned about what it looked like to other people because I knew how much she had antagonized me from day one. And so I went running through those woods across that street and I caught up with her in that bank parking lot. And I looked at her and she's still laughing and all red in the face, you know, because again, this was excitement for her. She she knew she was safe. She knew I wasn't gonna do anything. This was just a moment that they could go back later and talk about with their friends about how they poked the black girl down the street. Like I, I got at her and ha ha ha. And I said, don't you ever call me that again or something to that effect. And she put her hand in my face And I remember she touched my cheek for a second or something and said something like, you know, she repeated what she said. And y'all, when I tell you that I tore into her and slung her all over that parking lot with no thought or concern for the consequence of the moment only knowing that in that moment I was fighting for my literal freedom. I was fighting for my right to walk up to that laundromat and wash my clothes in peace. I was fighting for my right to sit on my own stoop in peace because I feel like she was going to escalate even further. I know in my spirit In my ancestral spirit, I know that if I had continued to let her get away with it, mocking and provoking, that she would have got me or she would have tried to get me probably alone and with other people to help her. I just sensed it. I had enough trauma response built up in me from certain abuses that I had faced in my past already at that point to know what escalation was going to, was feeling like. I knew what violence was going to come from me allowing her to continue I knew that I would at some point be caught unaware and that she would have escalated the language to eventually even the fact that she put her finger in my face the way she did let me know she was just chomping at the bit to become physical with me but not that bright sunny day This came to my mind, especially because of a lot of the stuff that's going on in our country right now. It came to mind because a lot of people are out here trying to tell you that you should be able to not only poke the bear, but then decide how the bear responds. No, no, no. But I thought you were a holistic voice coach. How are you advocating violence? Isn't holistic like, you know, meditating and, you know, herbs and teas and all of that? Honey, listen. Yes, I have a certification in herbology. Yes, I meditate. (laughs) Yes, I believe in um, all the things that come with physically finding a place of restorative and meditative peace within yourself. I also believe when someone challenges your very right to exist and be happy and breathe the same air that they breathe without having to always bristle in their presence that you deserve the right to confront and or fight back. Now, I remember that particular situation because something else happened on that day. Once I finished dragging her through that bank parking lot, with those drive-thru tellers looking with their mouths wide open, with those adults doing their business <laughs> in the, in the drive-thru line looking like, oh my God. With, with my friends, you know, just kind of sitting there waiting for her friends to jump, but they never did. Once all of that finished, and then with the adults driving up and down the street who were witnessing it as well, some slowing down to see her get all the way drug, once all that happened, I just knew I was in trouble. I was like, you know what? You got that out of your system and you had to let her know because this is somebody that lives in your community, rides your bus, is going to end up in school with you, you know, or goes to school with you. You can't get away from her. She's not going anywhere Now, at the age I was, another reason that there wasn't a filter there was because I was young. That filter that they say comes in, you know, that filter in the brain that becomes fully formed when you're in your mid to late 20s. It wasn't formed yet. So maybe that was part of it. So the thing that happened that day also was that whenever I finished dragging her through that parking lot, she, you know, back down, whimpering, walking away, talking about how she was going to get her big sister, yada, yada. And she never fixed her mouth or her gaze in my direction again. And I remember there was this one dude, this one white dude, uh, one of those self-professed rednecks based upon the bumper stickers and stuff that he had all over his car. (laughs) He drove up into the bank parking lot. And I thought to myself, he's about to do something mean to me. The other adults, they were still aghast. They were just like, oh, my God. Um, There were no cameras, no phones to take pictures. So I think everybody was just like, how do we get to a phone to maybe call someone? But by the time it was over, she was walking away with her friends, licking her wounds. And I'm still standing there shaking um, over the fact that I that I blanked like that. But understanding, you know, kind of why I did it. But still, I just couldn't believe that I had done it. And this guy, he walked up to me or he drove up to me and he rolled the windows down on his truck. And I prepared to be called every manner of N word or whatever, because, again, my neighborhood is just the way that the setup was. And he looked at me right in my face and he said, oh, man, and I'm not mocking him. I'm just telling you, you know, this was, you know, South Carolina. And he, you know, was just one of those good old boys. And he said something to the effect of like. Oh my God, you beat the hell out of her. (laughs) And I thought he was going to follow up with, um, you know, that was wrong or something. And no, he didn't. He just flung his head back and fell out laughing so hard that he could barely breathe. And then he said, that's what the hell she got. (laughs) And then he just drove off. (laughs) And I'm thinking that maybe he knew her to this day. I don't know who that man was. I just know that he was obviously fed up with her too. (laughs) And I think about even in this world, some of the people who are especially vile people who look like those people are fed up with them too. (laughs) That's kind of the lesson that I got from that. Like it's not all, you know, white people. It's not all uh, black people or whatever. Sometimes it's just people get fed up with folk. So, Tiffany, you, you're sitting here talking about like a physical altercation you got in when you were younger. Listen, that was the first of many physical altercations that I've been in. I'm just going to tell you like it is. I fought a lot growing up and 90% of those fights were due to being called some kind of N-word or whatever. What I didn't tell you was the year before I was body slammed by a white man for walking through his front yard. And he called me the N-word while he was standing over me and I could barely breathe while he was standing over me, his wife, who was also white, just looked through the window and kept washing dishes when she saw her grown man husband body slam a 12-year-old child to the ground and stand over her and called her all manner of evil names. So that that was my situation. Like, you had to fight. I couldn't fight him back because he was a grown man. And when the police arrived on the scene... The police officer just basically told him he needed to calm down and told me that I needed to stay out of his yard. I didn't feel protected or served. So I learned early on that you just kind of had to make a name for yourself however you could, especially the way that I grew up and where I grew up. So am I telling you with this podcast today that you need to start physically fighting people? (laughs) No, I'm telling you that if it comes down to it and someone threatens your being and they, they touch you, you know, they, they come at you, then you better be prepared to, to defend yourself. I mean, even people who are professed pacifist, many of them even believe that, Hey, I don't believe in war. I don't believe in certain things when it comes to violence, but if you are attacking me physically, I'm not just going to roll up in a ball. When I ran through the woods, did I see myself beating her up? I don't know what I saw. I just knew that she wasn't going to be, that she needed to be dealt with. That's what I know. So when do you fight? You remember when I told you that I had a lot of stuff going on in my life when she first started with all that mess, the antagonizing, the little passive aggressive things that she was doing. Sometimes it just isn't worth it. And in those moments, it just wasn't worth it. I felt like I could always get back down to my own apartment on my own stoop with my own little, you know, group of people and find happiness. Even if from time to time I kind of had to venture out into that territory where she was It's kind of like being on a job where you go in and you don't necessarily like it. But as long as they're doing things that are legal, you know, you may not like the culture, but you might be kind of working on getting out of there. So you just say right now, it's just not worth it. But when things begin to infringe upon your mental health and your well-being, when people start trying you to the degree where you can't even find your own space to relax and to just be, now it's not not worth it. I'm saying that that you don't get to poke the bear and then tell the bear how to respond. You don't get to stand in a line at a grocery store and tell somebody to go back to their country and then get mad when they slap the marbles out of your head. You don't get to post stuff online that degrade an entire race of people and then expect people are going to want to come and continue to patronize your establishment. You don't get to do that. I don't care who you are. This is about people treating people fairly and allowing people the pursuit of life and liberty, the ability to come and go and not feel attacked, the ability to just be human, the ability to open your eyes every damn day and just walk and breathe freely That is what I'm talking about. People are tired. There's a lot going on. But when I thought about that story, it was like the universe was reminding me that there are times that you have to fight. So how do you fight? You fight with your education, your expertise, your art, your finances. You protest, you march, you shut things down. You enter the political arena You fight through activism. Use your oratorical skills, if you will. You fight through research. You fight through being a historian. You fight with your voice. You open your mouth and you say, this is wrong. This is not right. At some point, all of us are called to the front lines. The front lines aren't always what you think they are. When you hear someone crying out near you for help and assistance, and you see that they're being wronged. Well, honey, you're on the front lines in that moment. So that's how you fight. That's when you know to fight. Some people might say, well, I don't hear you saying anything about, you know, fighting spiritually, you know, or anything like that. Listen, I fight with every resource available to me, my spirituality included. Like I said before, get in where you fit in, whatever area That you want to get in, not just prayer or spiritual warfare, but whatever your spiritual practice might be in order to bring about some evenness in the realms that we can't even see. I'm just going to leave it there. It is incumbent upon me having created this platform to tell you to be pure, to be potent and to be unpimpable. I don't say that for no reason. You use your voice. You use what you have at your disposal to stay alive and to help others stay alive, and not just to survive, but to thrive. We all deserve to thrive. This world should be able to be like that bright, sunny day on my stoop. When I was just talking with my girlfriends, when I was just having a good old-fashioned preteen, teen, teen, whatever you wanna call it, day. When we were just talking about boys and enjoying ourselves. You should be able to go to the park, cook out with your family and enjoy yourself without somebody coming up to you and challenging your humanness or your right to be or to be somewhere. So how do you fight in that situation with your camera, with legal aid? That's how you fight. How do you fight when someone physically confronts you? If wisdom prevails and you feel so led in the moment, then maybe, I don't know. I'm not here to tell anyone to throw hands. You fight with allies people who are there to say, I will leverage what I have to see to it that we can create and be and prosper on the most even playing field that we can possibly have in our lifetimes. Understanding that this probably won't be over in our lifetimes, but in my lifetime, I plan to shovel as much dirt as I can to make this playing field even. I plan to make sure that my fellow man can feel protected and I plan to do everything that I can to fight. You can be a pacifist if you want. You can believe that war is not the answer. I respect that, but I guarantee you, if they try to put hands on your child, you're not gonna let them just drag your child away. If they try to choke you out and you have a free hand, you're gonna do what you can to help yourself. At least I hope you will. If it's not fair and if it's not right, fight, march, protest, use your privilege. Use your finances, use your specialty, use your calling, use your area of expertise and fight so that we can all sit on the stoop and laugh and have fun with our friends on a bright summer day. Fight. Listen, I'm out of here. Protect yourselves, protect your energy, protect your mental health and your well-being. Audre Lord said that your silence will not protect you. Stay pure, stay potent, and stay unpimpable.